Welcome to Sweet Valley Diaries, brought to you by the word glowering. Sweet Valley Super Thriller, number two, on the run. Hi. Well, what do you know about this, Gladiators? This is an episode about a super thriller. I bet you didn't see that coming. Surprise! I'm your host, Marissa Flaxbart, and I am joined by one of my very best friends who I finally wore down. Thank you for being here, Nick Riley. Hi. Hey. Was that how you would characterize this, that I wore you down and and now you finally conceded (laughs) to appear on Sweet Valley Diaries? I'll admit that is pretty accurate. I just appreciate your wit, and I appreciate that I, sometimes you listen to this podcast, so you have actually a lot more background on Sweet Valley High than many of my guest readers. But I'm trying not to let that taint the experience. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, I hope it doesn't taint the experience, too. So were you thrilled by Super Thriller number 2 on the run? You know, when I saw the words Super Thriller, I kind of thought that was just a bit of marketing, but who boy. <laughs> It does live up to the title. (laughs) Yes. So we're going to talk through the whole plot of the book, but I wanted to give a little bit of background. So Gladiators and and Nick, too, the first super thriller book, which I recorded with my dad, it was called Double Jeopardy, which I'm sure somebody was sitting on at the Sweet Valley High offices for a long time. Like, oh, man, one of these days we're going to name one of these books Double Jeopardy because it's about twins. It's perfect. Uh, But In that book, it's set up that the Wakefield twins have a summer internship at the local newspaper. And this book continues that same kind of universe. It's the summer. That's confusing in its own way, because uh, presumably it's the summer after junior year. But as soon as we go back to the main schedule, you know, that's all junior year again. So <laughs> the events of these, this book, as far as I can tell, don't really have any effect. I can't have any effect on the main timeline of the books. I was a little perplexed that it's just called The News. <laughs> the Sweet Valley News. Bold choice of a name. Well, you know, it does what it says on the label, I guess. And I think that the fact that these books have no real bearing on the rest of the plot must be part of the mindset here behind including so few characters from the normal Sweet Valley universe. You know? Like, who mm-hmm. who do we have? We have, obviously, Jessica and Elizabeth and the Wakefields. Could you make any heads or tails of Adam Maitland? Uh, no. In fact, I <laughs> his introduction was quite baffling to me. <laughs> There's a lot of information thrown into a very short period of time with him. <laughs> Adam Maitland. Yeah, it's just in the in the beginning of the book, classic Sweet Valley High style. They explain really quickly about how Adam Maitland, his girlfriend was murdered, and he's been staying with the Wakefields. He's a friend of Stevens from college. That is all basically a, a very brief summary of the plot of the Double Jeopardy. So the Adam Maitland is still here, but I, they might have as well have just sent him home because they don't do anything with him in the book. But furthermore, the book talks about how Jessica was kind of like affected by having recently witnessed a murder. That comes so, up a couple of times. Yeah, yeah. When this book starts out, it's all about this mobster, right? Frank DeLuca. Everybody is talking about this news story. Yeah. It's like a national the news The national story. news case. 
Yes. <laughs> Frank DeLuca is being tried for, you know, all of his many crimes, but that witnesses testifying against him keep on getting murdered. So it's like no one's going to come forward. And that's initially just like what's going on at the beginning. And Jessica doesn't want to hear. She's sick of hearing about the Frank DeLuca case because she's like, she's had it with crime in general. Yeah, she's a little triggered. Yeah, which, I mean, in a way, it's kind of refreshing because I, oh, you know, the joke on this podcast is that there's no trauma in Sweet Valley. And in this book, the characters past traumas are literally referred to, like, head on. Elizabeth meets a boy. We'll get to that, gladiators. But she wonders. She and Jessica, I mean, they wonder about this guy's past trauma. The the few scenes where Jessica has any sort of, like insight or or we get into her mind to see like what the trauma is like she seems pretty disturbed by it and then the book kind of just passes back to the main plot after that but there's there's like two instances where she seems like she's pretty significantly affected by this probably for (laughs) the foreseeable future yeah one thing that i think could really be at play here is that jessica makes some suppositions about various characters in this book that I think are probably fueled by having seen... She didn't witness a murder, but she basically... She saw a dead body and became Mm -hmm. this, like, central cog in the solving of a murder. So I mentioned before that there are very few of the, like, regular Sweet Valley players that are a part of this book. But even so, I was still blown away by the number of new teenagers that this book trotted out for us. Um, The first of which was someone named Darcy Kamen. I have a lot of thoughts about her. All right. Well... I mean, let's just get into it. Darcy came in, you know, she shows up as an intern at the newspaper. I'm like, I'm like, a, you know, I know I'm reading a mystery novel, right? So I'm immediately like on the lookout, like, what's a miss here? Now, did I read this book before? Yes, <laughs> I have read this book before. But I had no memory of the events of this book. It was like a race from my head. It was a long time ago that I read it. But the note, I have very few notes on this book. But the first one I have says... Darcy Kamen, a lunatic? She goes from, I love newspapers, this is so exciting, to newspapers, what could be more boring, in two pages. Yeah. So I, I thought I that maybe she was, note... like, mentally, un, uh, like, 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 a, I don't know. I, I, I heard myself saying the phrase mentally unstable, and I, I felt uncomfortable with it, but I guess I just mean in the way of these Sweet Valley books. Like, she was a, a lunatic. Yeah, I think she's coded as that. And I think the book is <laughs> kind of hinting at, I guess, the author's thoughts on her because multiple times throughout this book, they refer to her as either the redhead or <laughs> the girl, which I thought was kind of strange. It's the only character <laughs> they do that with. And I'm not sure what we're supposed to make of it besides it seemed like the book kind of winking at us. But yeah, she's she's fake right from the jump. And she even has that crazy line. It's like nine or ten pages in when she's they're talking about the the Luca trial and she makes a comment saying that her dad thinks that it's being staged by the media. So that it looks like the legal system in this country really works. <laughs> oh I, my gosh. That's like, a little bit of a button right now. Huh? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was like, Oh, this is oddly fitting, but in a weird way coming from her. <laughs> well, I can go ahead and read this passage. I have it here. This is Darcy's introduction to the entire office at the sweet Valley news and to us. Oh, are you listening to the trial? Darcy asked. My father says there's no way Frank DeLuca will go to jail. 
He thinks this is all just being staged by the media, so it will look like the legal system in this country really works. In fact, my father thinks... Jessica couldn't constrain herself. What does your father do? Classic Jessica. She's just jumping right to it like, oh, are you rich? Because we should be probably friends. He's a businessman, Darcy replied, but he knows all sorts of things about law, too. And he's certain this trial is going nowhere. And this is actually getting to some thematics in this book, right? Because there's a little bit of an argument. There are people, Dan Weeks and Seth um, Miller? Miller? Dan Weeks and Seth Miller, who were both characters in the previous book as well, they're like rivals in the newsroom. And uh, Dan Weeks thinks that it's basically like, is society inherently corrupt or like, will good win the day? (laughs) It's essentially the theme here, believe it or not. So Dan Weeks and Darcy and Jessica are like... Well, I don't know. Jessica doesn't really care. But, <laughs> like, no one's going to come forward. There, People are going to get paid off. Like, this Frank DeLuca's going to go free. Elizabeth and Seth are like, no, someone will be good. You know, someone will have the decency to come forward. Yeah, and Elizabeth is basically, like, shamed for having that perspective. Right. Which I thought was, was kind of funny. <laughs> Dan laughs at her and calls her a legal crusader. And then Darcy, like, joins in. And even, like makes an insult to Elizabeth later by calling her a crusader, yeah. which is such a, yeah. so, doesn't sound like an insult to me. Like, but she Darcy, just feels like she's been told she's a goody two-shoes, I think. Which she is, but whatever. We'll let that slide. <laughs> she is, but I don't know. Darcy doesn't know that. And Darcy's just such a next-level, like, antagonist in this whole beginning section. <laughs> yeah. Well, so I was really ready to, like, have her be the bad guy because because of this weird like mood swing thing she's doing but as the book unfolded i realized that it was really just that she's an opportunist when she's right there in front of the boss and the people she's trying to impress Mm -hmm. she says that working at the newspaper is exciting and she loves it so much as soon as that she's out of the office and just gabbing with jessica who she sees as like a kindred spirit she's saying she thinks it's really boring and she wishes her dad could have gotten her any other job, which her dad just like hand, th- th- like the introduction of her getting this internship is like, well, my daddy knew somebody at the paper, so he got me yeah. this job right away. Even though, oh, and we, she mo- she's from Ohio. She just moved to town from somewhere near Toledo. That detail will be important later. <laughs> yeah, she's from Ohio. I mean, I, I'm guessing this is intentional, but like Jessica and Darcy are almost identical characters in this book. They are two sides of the same coin. And it will lead to a point later I'll make where there's like one funny difference between them. But it was crazy that they painted them as such similars. Like everything from how they felt about this internship to like how they treat men in this book. It was it was just striking how exactly similar the two of them are. Right. And it, it struck me as upsetting because, you know, Jessica is normally, like, she questions Elizabeth's attitude and decisions a lot. But in this book, Darcy is openly, like, a bully, essentially, to Elizabeth. Yeah, she's hostile. She, she play. she is rude to her. Like, Elizabeth says, she cle- the girl clearly doesn't like me. But, like, Darcy, she's got bully energy. You know, it's not that she there's something about Elizabeth that she dislikes. It's that she's decided that she's going to, like, play tricks on Elizabeth. What, what are some of the things she does? She puts the dictionary on elizabeth's desk and then complains openly she, that like, she can't find the library? dictionary 
or something like that. <laughs> something like but then, that. But then there's the whole saga with the coffee where she gives yeah. her the wrong order purposely yeah. so that she brings a coffee that her boss is allergic to because it has creamer in it. <laughs> yeah, so here's that part. I'll read it. This is Dan Weeks talking. If you're not too busy, would you mind going downstairs to the coffee shop for me? I need a caffeine fix, and I've got my hands full right now. Trying to hide a frown, Darcy put down her magazine. She was in the middle of a good article in Ingenue magazine, her favorite, on how to win and keep a man. Getting coffee was the least appealing part of being an intern, she decided. It was so degrading. Sure, she said, forcing a smile. You like it black, right? That's right. I hate anything in my coffee, Dan said. Thanks, Darcy. I really appreciate it. Here's some money. Get yourself something, too. So then she immediately turns around. She sees Elizabeth, gives her a dollar. So I don't know how much Dana gives her, but she gives Elizabeth one dollar <laughs> and tells her to go get a coffee for Dan with cream and sugar. There was so much about that passage. The, obviously, the Ingenue Magazine article is funny on how to win and keep a man. That's a character detail. But I also think going to get coffee is probably a, is a really nice part of an internship because it means that you get to leave the office for a minute. And they all hate it. Yeah. And it's funny that y- what we learn, and I was a little bit, I was alarmed, but th- these <laughs> kids are unpaid interns. Yeah. Which wouldn't be nearly as shocking if they were doing a little bit less work. But like what Dar- the reason I'm getting into it is because Darcy's reaction to this being demeaning points to the fact that these girls are being asked to do or or guys if there there is a male intern that pops up later, but they're being asked to do like real research and journalism, like real like ho- like they're holding the paper up with their their work. They're so copy it editing seems- it too. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, that's one of the worst things that Darcy does. She comes over and asks Elizabeth, oh, "Oh, is this the thing that you needed to turn in to Dan? And Elizabeth says, oh, yes, but I'm not done yet. But Darcy snatches it out of her hands, gives it to Dan, and then says, oh, I think there might be some mistakes in the last paragraph. And Dan is like, oh, there are, Elizabeth. Be sure to read more carefully. I was just like ready to, I I texted you that my blood was boiling. (laughs) I was so mad at Darcy. Well, and at that point, the book goes through a series where it's just, like, one after another instance. There's probably, like, four or five of them in a row. And at some point, you're just like, Elizabeth, you need to be petty back and just (laughs) take her down a few pegs here. Yeah. Elizabeth keeps on saying she's not going to be a baby about the Darcy situation. She's going to be professional. But it's when we finally get a peek into Darcy's perspective, it's clear that Darcy's just trying to have some fun. Like, she doesn't even really have a personal vendetta against Elizabeth. She's just so bored at work that she has to liven it up. Uh, She's bored and she doesn't like that she's, she doesn't like that Elizabeth takes it seriously. Because yeah. Darcy doesn't well, take it seriously, oh, and it well, makes they, it unfun to be at work. <laughs> in last week's episode, we were talking a little bit about Elizabeth's gossip column, and, and Book 52 shed some light on what the gossip column was like. Well, that comes up in this book as well, even though this book was written before Book 52, but regardless, Darcy brings up the gossip column just to, like, make fun of Elizabeth. She pretends that she cares about being a serious journalist and is like, oh, Elizabeth, don't you work on the gossip column or something on your paper? And then Elizabeth gets all defensive and has to, like, explain, oh, it's not really a gossip column. Like, she feels embarrassed about it. And Darcy doesn't care about journalism at all. So she's literally just starting shit. She would be perfect on a reality show. Not even that. She brings it up purposely in front of Dan and Seth. 
to make yeah. Elizabeth look bad. <laughs> They're all out for for lunch or dinner or something at like a local diner. I thought this was a cute detail. They call it the press club, but the book oh, yeah. tells us that it's not really called the press club. <laughs> it's just what they call it because they th- and I just thought that was really cute. <laughs> like the diner that the newspaper staff like lower rung workers go go chill out they they cutely call the press club but all of this darcy stuff was leading back to my original point which was that jessica keeps on telling elizabeth that she needs to either she needs to give darcy a chance like darcy's not so bad she's one of the nicest girls i've ever met even though jessica is present for most of this bad behavior from darcy And then once she understands what Darcy's been doing, she changes her tune to, you're going to need to apologize to Darcy. You don't want to get on the wrong side of a girl like that. Yeah. Also, it gets to a weird point that I had with the book where I wasn't sure why Elizabeth was mad at Darcy for how she's acting, because there's some points where she's acting the exact same as Jessica, especially in regard to like their attitudes towards work. And so oh my gosh. Well, like, try telling Elizabeth Darcy, that. I feel like you should be mad at Jessica. <laughs> yeah. She should have been mad at Jessica. You want her to, you, like, sometimes you do, you want these girls to, like, have words. And instead, Elizabeth is just like, Jessica will never change. There was no use trying to, trying to talk reason to her. Yeah. She has a part later in the book where it's, like, one of the many times she talks about the concept of, what is it called? Uh, identical opposites. And oh yeah, that's she a common says, like, phrase in this book. Identical that that Jessica and Elizabeth are identical opposites. Yeah, and she says like even though we're identical opposites and we act completely different, like I still like just because she's my sister, like I have some sort of kinship with her with or I feel protective of her. I mean, sometimes I that's the thing that makes me the most angry in this series and sometimes I think that that is the glue that's holding the books together. Because if Elizabeth didn't forgive Jessica for her many flaws or if Jessica really like had had it with Elizabeth and could never get over it, like they would just be a constant rivalry. It would be a very different kind of series, but mm-hmm. man. Um well, we can actually continue the plot summary by going back to this moment of of coffee because the story really gets rolling when elizabeth goes to get this coffee for uh dan that she asks for cream and sugar and she meets a boy named eric hankman and then she has to go talk to eric hankman again a few minutes later because she takes the coffee to dan weeks and he says he's escalated it from hating anything in his coffee to he is allergic to cream There are two very important details that I feel like we have to discuss when we talk about his introduction. Okay. Eric Hankman's. Yes. The book describes him as being unusually handsome. But at that point, they have described every single male character as being handsome in this book. So (laughs) either he's reached a new stratosphere of like Ohio rugged good looks, or this book is just really throwing out the superlatives. But then the more baffling thing is that when he gives her the coffee... A full coffee cup. He puts it in a paper bag and gives it to her. Oh, that's true. That is weird. Oh, also the yeah. coffee is costs less than a dollar because she has a single a single US dollar bill that she gives him to pay for the coffee and he gives her change. Which I, I thought I was can't special. Get, I can't get over the detail either because later in the book he will give a series of coffees into like a paper tray. <laughs> and so I thought, maybe I read it wrong. So I went back to this page again. But no, sure enough, it says he puts it into a paper bag. And I was so baffled as to why that would happen. 
<laughs> that does seem like a recipe for disaster. I don't know, maybe yeah. some sort of uh, historical coffee practice. But um, here's a, here is the description of Eric Hankman because I know the gladiators are, are really anxious to hear what this very sexy man sounds like. So listen carefully because the, the subtext is important here too. <clears throat> Elizabeth's glance kept coming back to the boy. He was unusually handsome and very appealing. He was tall. Six feet, she guessed, with thick, dark hair, hazel eyes, and a strong jaw. He smiled at the customer in front of her, and she noticed he had a dimple in his right cheek. Elizabeth laughed inwardly at herself. It wasn't like her to pay so much attention to a boy, especially someone she didn't know. And she had been concentrating so hard on him that when it was her turn to order, she felt herself blush. Hi, he said, smiling directly at her. Can I help you? So they start talking and she finds out that he is a writer. He's a poet, especially. And yes, but there's something a little weird about him, you know, like there's just something a little strange about Eric Hankman, but she can't put a finger on it. Well, it's probably that he's from Ohio, but she does not make that connection. Yeah. So what did you think when he said that he was from Ohio? I was like, really? Did the writers of this book not know any other states? Like how are Cause so. I... <laughs> I just wanted to add that Eric Hankman says that he's going to be a senior at Sweet Valley High in the fall. So that means that he's in the same class as Elizabeth. So And Darcy, too, right? So they're all these kids mm-hmm. are the same age. They're all from Ohio, and they're moving to Sweet Valley this summer. It's like an influx. I had suspected that somehow he would be related to Darcy, but that does not pan out to anything. But it just seems so odd that the book was going out of its way to point out Ohio. Well, I think that that must be why. Like, he's from Ohio... And I think that somebody must have thought it's too big of a coincidence if they're from the same town. And Ohio is a big state that has several, like, smallish metropolitan areas. So they use that (laughs) geography so that when Darcy starts calling a friend of hers named Sue, who lives near Shaker Heights, which is where Eric is from, right? Am I getting Mm -hmm. all those details right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, she Sue is, will be a big source of gossip yeah. coming up. Right. So she's just curious, does Sue know Eric? Because Darcy lays eyes on Eric when she finally goes to get coffee for real. She finally goes to run that errand and she is instantly in love. She's a real Amy Sutton. She's like, I lay eyes on a boy and my heart explodes with love. Like, I'm going to go from stranger to in love immediately. So she starts mooning over and Elizabeth. Out of is, it. Well, yeah, <laughs> that'll come soon enough. But Elizabeth is very like, oh, uh, Darcy loves Eric. Like, well, she and she starts to wonder, like, well, why do I care? Like, I've got my boyfriend Jeffrey French. Well, hold on. So this is this <laughs> this is a large topic of the book, and I have a lot of thoughts on this. But I feel like we need to make it clear. At least it was clear to me. I don't know if it was clear to you. But from the moment that Elizabeth and Eric meet. There is a strange amount of, like, tension between the two of them. Mm-hmm. Like, crazy. And Elizabeth is forward it? for her. Like, she asks them yes. a lot of questions. She, she immediately is like, oh, we should get together sometime and read each other's writing. You know, they make, she makes yeah. plans to give him a tour She's of Sweet She's going to give him the like, full tour? Yeah. 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 But it's weird because she's saying all that, but her internal narration seems to be oblivious to what's going on, which... To the book's credit, it actually becomes kind of a, a more nuanced subject later on. But in the beginning, I was just like yelling at the book, like, do you not see what's happening here? <laughs> well, yeah, well, they do get together and and 
Elizabeth gives Eric a tour of Sweet Valley that where she starts at Miller's Point. She starts at Miller's Point and she says to him, this is, it's an infamous parking spot, but it's daytime. So like, we'll get out and just look at the view because it's also a great view. But I mean, you got to think that like, she must know (laughs) that maybe starting at infamous makeout point is a little bit of a suggestive thing, but whatever. It's a great view. So then they go on the whole tour. They're gone all day. And Elizabeth doesn't tell Jessica and Darcy she like keeps it a secret that they're spending this time together for, I don't know, her own personal reasons, I guess. Like she doesn't want to raise any eyebrows. So I think that she must know on some level that something is a little untoward here. She definitely, because there's the whole like undercurrent about Jeffrey, because we started the book with a phone call between the two of them. And then he calls a second time to say like, as if his ears are burning, like I'm feeling unusually jealous. Like, are yeah. you? You must have so many other boys. Who <laughs> they are, have like, a psychic really connection. Beautiful. Yeah, it makes you wonder but what then, he's up to up in the San Francisco Bay. Uh, listen, he's teaching area. the bunk how to canoe. <laughs> yeah, he's spending his summer with a bunch of boys in San Francisco and uh, calling Elizabeth to ask her what she's doing. And he's gonna. He says that he's gonna be home in a few weeks, which I was kind of waiting for Jeffrey to show up at the doorstep and have that be the drama of the book, but it never happens. Um, but one thing that I wanted to say about Elizabeth's confusion and how she seems like she's being a little dense at first is that they make plans to go see a movie. The new James Bond film. Well, so I'm pretty sure it's when they're on the tour that she says something and Eric comes back and says how he also wants to keep it a secret from everyone else. And that it would be, quote, more romantic if they did it that way. And she doesn't seem to have any sort of alarm bells go off when he says that phrase, even though she's kind of posited in her mind the situation of like well i'm with jeffrey but here's this boy and i hope he doesn't think it's anything more even though she's acting that way here's something that from from miller's point i marked this passage so he's starting this kind of talk pretty early but this this passage also gets to another aspect of eric's personality so they're at miller's point looking out at the ocean okay god it's so beautiful eric murmured staring out at the ocean he turned back toward her and smiled it reminds me of your eyes. Do you know that? So, I mean, come on, clearly enough. Yeah. To her embarrassment, Elizabeth felt her cheeks turn red. Look, she said quickly, pointing. You can see the mountains starting there. I love this spot, she added quietly. It's so high up here, so far away from everything. Still staring at the sea, Eric nodded. I know what you mean. He put his hands in his pockets. I'd love to take a boat sometime and sail all the way across, he said softly. Imagine what it would feel like, days and days from anyone with only the water around you. Elizabeth shivered. There was something haunting in his voice. Wouldn't you get lonely? she asked him. I think I'd rather have some friends around. Eric shook his head. A shadow crossed his face, and Elizabeth thought his eyes looked fierce. Who needs people? he demanded. I think it would be much better alone, just me and the sea. So, I mean, and it goes on to describe a muscle twitching in his cheek and Elizabeth feeling a little uncomfortable, but, um, yeah, he's, it's, so this is everything about Eric, right? He's, he's flirtatious. There's clearly something happening. And also there's some kind of secret he seems to have. Yeah. And that imagery of him on the boat will come up kind of indirectly in a subtle way where 
when people are noticing his flashes of either anger or like emotional switches, they often will bring in the language of like rain or storm or, or something like water based like Ooh. that. Well, what a There's lovely, one that's a very artistic note we have here for uh, Well, it's <laughs> so striking every time they mentioned it. <laughs> when Elizabeth thinks about how she and Eric are going to get together to go to the movies, she thinks of it as a date. Like she uses the word mm-hmm. date. She says date and that it, they're just friends like in the same breath. And I mean like I know that the word date can be used to describe any kind of thing of two people getting together. But it's like even the book is is ready to like, you know, say that they're dating. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think it's aware of the language it's using. Yeah. Um, And so here's a little bit more about Eric um, that's kind of serves the purpose of putting us in Elizabeth's head and making us wonder about Eric. Um, So they do read each other's poetry and it's very haunting. It's all, it's all very, it's all very dramatic. (laughs) By the end of the afternoon, Elizabeth had become aware of a pattern in Eric's behavior. As long as the conversation centered on Elizabeth, her family, her hobbies, her friends, Eric was open, friendly, cheerful, full of questions and remarks. But the minute Elizabeth tried to turn the conversation back to him, he closed up. She could see his expression change the second she asked him anything about himself. That dark, almost angry shadow crossed his face and he tensed up. It made her almost afraid of him. Then the moment would pass and he would be himself again. Sweet, open, friendly. This is like the first moment she gets serial killer vibes from him? Yeah, yeah. This progresses, right? They... You know, he tells her he's been writing love poems. There's that moment where he's about to tell her how he feels. And Elizabeth starts thinking about what it would be like to kiss him. He, he like, she, like, puts her fingers on his mouth and he kisses her fingers at one point. Like, oh, yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah. <laughs> I think I audibly said, oh, no, when I read that part. Oh, it was, it was the oh, no moment from Nick. That's great. There was a few of those. <laughs> I had to go back and read it again because I thought for a second that maybe they had kissed. And I was just like, oh, my gosh, Elizabeth. But I, but they didn't. It's almost um, weirder. Oh, it's definitely weirder. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Elizabeth thinks that as soon as they talk about it, the delicate balance between them will be ruined. And she'll have to tell him about Jeffrey and it's just she's just like living in her little summer girl fantasy which which is which is okay I mean it's but it's definitely oh well we don't have to pass judgment on it but what we can say is that it is very confusing for Elizabeth she doesn't know and is doubling down on why the whole thing is a secret she is not telling Mm -hmm. Jessica or Darcy anything Elizabeth claims that she only knows Eric from talking to him at the coffee shop before during and after work like when she goes to buy coffee. Yeah, and I think this is probably more subtext of the book, but I thought what was frustrating but also kind of interesting was that Elizabeth is ignoring such huge red flags here in terms of like, she even admits later that she doesn't know anything about him really, about Eric, in that he always has this kind of switch when it comes to talking about any personal details about himself. And so when she's kind of debating about, like, how does she feel about him, and and especially, like, would she choose him or Jeffrey? She has to kind of admit that, like, she's bought into this illusion or this, like, scenario where he's this, you know, unusually handsome person who comes into town, he's mysterious, and then he writes poetry and has all these kind of, like, 
like obviously attractive traits, but then it's not really a relationship that's built on much. And I thought that was kind of interesting. It, it is frustrating in the beginning, but once you realize the book is in on that, I was more interested as it as like a real depiction of like what a teenage love would be. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, and I was primed, you were a little bit ahead of me reading. And so when you texted me that like Elizabeth must, either Elizabeth is stupid or, you know, she's kidding herself or something like that, or she's just fully cheating on Jeffrey. And then it was like, by the time the book was over, the book was basically saying the same thing. (laughs) Like Elizabeth was saying the same thing to herself. Like, am I kidding myself or not? So we can talk more about that, but I feel like we have not revealed a particular detail about what happened with the Frank DeLuca case. Oh, that okay. I And I don't know if we should talk about it now or not, because um, it's a bit of a Chekhov's witness. <laughs> yes. I mean, it's a little weird at the beginning of the book that there's all this talk about the Frank DeLuca case at all, right? Like, it has nothing well, to do with Sweet Valley. Yeah, it seems like it's setting up that thematic debate you were talking about earlier. Like, are people fundamentally trustworthy or are they corrupt? And then you're right. It seems like the book just drops it for a long period of time because it reaches what you think is some sort of conclusion. And which also I feel like we need to talk about. Is that is that legal yeah, strategy a real thing? <laughs> uh, which legal strategy do you mean? That you can just have surprise last minute witnesses? <laughs> I don't know. I think it might be. It just seems so odd that, like, wouldn't wouldn't this have to be agreed upon or something? Like, that you can just secure a witness on the second to last day of trial and they just I, show up? That's a good question. I, I don't know if... Um, oh, here. Surprise witnesses are an acceptable... Tri- okay. Yeah. I guess... Uh, I guess you can have... There's an article from AmericanBar.org, the title of which is Examinations at Trial. Fun with surprise witnesses, and fun is in, like, scare quotes. So I'll have to read that article at some point. But I think All it, right, I think from maybe, the record, then. Maybe it's the one of those things, it. like, with uh, juror selection where, like, you only have so many rejection, like, people that you can reject or something. I don't know. I, I don't really know. I'm not. A, neither of us are lawyers, gladiators. If you know about how surprise witnesses work, go ahead and write in, and maybe we'll talk about it in a future episode. Educate but me. It's, it's definitely a thing that happens on TV, so we'll let it slide in Sweet Valley. Right. Hi. Um, but so the surprise witness in this case is this guy named Doctor Ryan, who was like a doctor that cared for somebody who he was. I mean, not emotionally but like physically cared for uh one of the previous like witnesses who had been killed after after saying he was going to testify against frank deluca and this doctor basically is just like a linchpin by coming forward you know he makes himself uh he basically is single-handedly responsible his testimony is is responsible for getting the connection it's like his testimony, the, the book is oddly specific about the situation, but it's like he's the doctor of this person who developed some sort of like early onset diabetes, I think is what the book says. And he, over a series of time, wrote down basically what was happening and how the DeLuca guy was involved in this criminal underworld and then left the note 
with Dr. Ryan. Yeah, which right? all seems and then very Dr. Ryan, suspect. Like, provides a note, and they get a handwriting analysis. On yeah, it. handwriting it's, like, analysis. Very intricate. Yeah, it seems like it would be dubious evidence at best, but it, it works. And I think, I mean, maybe the jurors were desperate to put Frank DeLuca away. I don't know, <laughs> but um, <laughs> it seemed like everybody knew his guilt except for the legal system. Yeah. Well, and the whole world was watching it. it was like the O.J. Simpson trial or something. Like it yeah. was on the news. Was on the radio. There's a scene early on in the book when Elizabeth turns on. The, Jessica tries to change the station, and Elizabeth, like, smacks her hand away. So so that's something that happens at the beginning of the book. So just forget about that for now, gladiators. It might not be important at all. Who knows? Uh, so Jessica and Darcy, they have their own little plot with Eric Hankman now, which starts with Darcy's interest um, in him. Did you notice uh, that we had an, an L.A. sports team? I imagine you did notice <laughs> Oh, when they mentioned the Dodgers? Yeah. Somehow, Darcy has two tickets to a Dodgers game, and she has Jessica go ask Eric. I don't know. (laughs) It's very convoluted. Darcy's trying to go on a date with Eric to a Dodgers game. This is another California detail, but do you you notice right in the beginning of the book, they talk about Jessica having exotic schemes, including accompanying her friend Lila to Carmel? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. I was confused when I was in Carmel exotic. this summer. I don't know, man. Maybe to Jessica it is. She's 16. We'll cut her some slack. Although she has been to France. So, who knows? <laughs> More exotic than France. Eric turns her down because he's already got plans to go see this new James Bond movie. Uh, which is probably the movie The Living Daylights. Ooh. With Timothy Dalton as James Bond. Good research. Good callback. Thank you. Timothy Dalton giving a little bit of a Eric Hankman vibe. Looking at a picture of him right now, he's got a cleft chin. Oh, really? He's got a doesn't he doesn't he have a cleft chin or am I making that up? Anyway, I don't know. <laughs> I can't remember. <laughs> Forget about Timothy Dalton. Away. Um, so Darcy, as soon as she thinks that okay, well Eric isn't in love with me, she pretty much drops him. She does this weird scheme where she is over him, but still tries to get him to go to a Dodgers game with her. And she, this is one of many times where she recruits Jessica to do it for her and basically says, like, I don't know how you're going to do it, but just do it. And Jessica, in a very strange twist, gets annoyed with Darcy for not being fully devoted to Eric. But it's exactly the same thing that Jessica has expressed in this book. (laughs) <laughs> how she feels towards other men. So it's, in fact, one of the things the two of them bond about in the beginning and why Jessica likes her. So it's such a strange note that she's annoyed at her for it. That's funny. Although I guess that is a thing that really happens, right? Like there are certain qualities that you what one has oneself that when you see it in others, it's attractive. And certain qualities that you have of, on yourself that when you see it in others, you really don't like it. Perhaps even because well, it reminds you of something you dislike about yourself. Although I don't think Jessica would say this is something she dislikes about herself no she's attracted to it in darcy until darcy makes her do something about it and then she doesn't like it anymore yeah well darcy i mean darcy switches her allegiance to yet another new boy andy sullivan who is a freshman at stanford but he doesn't he doesn't matter to this book at all he shows up he's a red herring he's one of the many interns that work in this building yeah. Everyone in this town seems to work in the Western Building, including all of the unpaid <laughs> interns. Yeah. Well, it's they called the Western Building because it's literally the only building in the, on the west side of town. 
No. I made that up. All right. So, so Darcy, when she goes and takes matters into her own hands, she starts um, teasing Eric about his writing and she starts looking at his journal and he's, he like scolds her and like takes it away. And then she like teases him by ripping a page out of it. And it's a love poem and that she, he tells her he wrote for her about her to get her off the scent, I guess. Yeah, he was trying to, like, misdirect so that he didn't have to admit that it's about Elizabeth. And so he, like, purposely writes this vague header that just says, for her. But she, when she rips the page, she does it in a way, this happens a couple of times in the book, but Eric is, like, (laughs) such a, (laughs) so beholden to his job that when customers come in, people wait to do things to him. And then he's stuck because he has to help the customer and, like, can't respond back to them. <laughs> so she waits until he's serving someone. And then he, she goes behind the counter and rips the page out of the notebook. Because she had already tried to look at the notebook and he took it with him behind the counter. And then he basically, like, throws his hands up and is like, I can't do anything because I'm serving coffee to this person. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's what Elizabeth likes in him. Is that he is just so dedicated to his work. <laughs> he is. Uh, but... Darcy immediately takes this to Jessica and Elizabeth and says that Eric has said it's about her, this love poem. And when Elizabeth reads oh, it, yes. she's just mortified because Ugh. not yeah, not because she um knows that she was nearly caught in this sort of not quite a love affair with Eric, but because she thinks that Eric was was kind of must have like she must have had a misunderstanding and Eric really is in love with Darcy. This whole scheme, ugh, ugh, to all of this. I <laughs> it, for so many so many reasons. Because it's like, first off, Elizabeth just completely somehow misunderstands the whole situation to the point where she should know better because he even said, like, I wanna keep this a secret. So why would he tell Darcy that he wrote this about her? But then also it's like he was never interested in Darcy. Like that was never a thing before, but Darcy's even saying in the situation, like, I don't even care about Eric. Like she's (laughs) announcing to both Jessica and Elizabeth that she has already moved on and that she's just playing, playing with Eric here. So it's like, why, why even matter? But this is also one of my least favorite plot lines in any form of media where it's just like uh, a fight that's caused by someone's misunderstanding or like misperception. Oh, yes. And no one does anything to clarify. Like, if someone had just asked the question, this whole thing would be solved. And yet it becomes a larger issue because of it. And I was just yelling, like, no at the book. <laughs> <laughs> this is like the axis point around which the entire Sweet Valley High universe revolves. So Ugh, it is I could often. Not live in that universe. It's, it's challenging sometimes. Um, here, here's a little bit of insight into Elizabeth's perspective here. She could barely focus on the words below. So, Eric really had written a love poem to Darcy? She felt terrible. How could he? What about everything he'd said the day before to her? Didn't it mean anything? Then, uh, the next page later, by Tuesday evening, Elizabeth was in a terrible state about Eric. She had thought about nothing else all day and had deliberately avoided him, going out by a different exit so she wouldn't have to walk past the coffee shop and run into him. Every time she imagined him with Darcy, she got more upset. And not just because she didn't like the thought of Eric being interested in Darcy, though that was certainly most of it. Elizabeth was also upset because her own reaction was so strong, and that meant facing up to the fact that she must have some feelings for Eric that went beyond mere friendship. 
so Elizabeth is in a state and but she can't tell anybody about it. So around this time, the Wakefields decide that they're gonna invite Mr. Hankman and Eric. So Eric and his dad over for a picnic. And they're also going to invite some other neighbors of theirs. And what were their names? The The Beckwiths? The Beckwiths, yes. So Mr. and Mrs. Beckwith. And Mr. Beckwith. This is Rosie the nosy neighbor over here. Yeah. Mr. Beckwith keeps on telling Mr. Hankman, I'm sure I saw you somewhere. I'm sure I recognize you. And Mr. Hankman keeps on saying no. We skipped an important detail, which is that Jessica and Darcy go very quickly from Darcy interested into Eric to Eric is maybe a murderer. So shall we get into that? Yeah, because Sue is coming in hot with some details. <laughs> yeah. So you'll recall, uh, Gladiators, that Darcy has has called her friend Sue to find out if Sue knows anything. If she knows this Eric guy. Like, she wants to get the scoop. And Sue explains that, okay, sure, I don't know who Eric is, but guess what? There was a terrible murder in my town, and a girl was murdered by her boyfriend, and the boyfriend is on the run. They don't know where he went. The boyfriend's name we later learn is Chris Wyeth. Sorry, mm-hmm. the boyfriend meaning the murderer's name is Chris Wyeth. And this is revealed over a series of phone calls though with Sue. Sue yes. is like it's like a slow drip of info. Yeah. Darcy says that she's gonna call Sue from the Wakefields, but she'll call collect. So don't worry. Sue's family is <laughs> she very has money. Wealthy. Her family has money. Yeah. So um, the whole, like, long-distance call pricing situation is actually really important to this book because it's why Jeffrey can only call three times a week or whatever. Yeah, and I have to write letters some of the time. Yeah. So Darcy and Jessica start out just being like, okay, well, let's let's keep an eye out for anything that might be suspicious. And the more information they get from Sue, the more convinced they are that... Uh, Eric Hankman is the guy that is on the run for having murdered this girl in Ohio. That starts to escalate around the time that Eric Hankman and his dad are invited over to the Wakefields for like a picnic with a Mr. and Mrs. Beckwith. And Jessica is like really scrutinizing Eric. And so when Mr. Beckwith starts telling Mr. Hankman, I'm sure I recognize you somewhere. And Mr. Hankman starts acting shifty like like he's nervous about he doesn't want to say who he is jessica starts wondering if maybe you know that points to her theory about eric being true does that all make sense yeah and and the kind of underlying thing here is that darcy and jessica make a pact where they are going to go detective and watch everything that eric does but they make a promise that if he starts to date someone in the town that they were going to call the police because then they knew that things would escalate and that he might strike again. Right. And so here's where it's critical detail, that Elizabeth has kept it a secret. And Jessica's yes. kind of not fully noticing how weird Elizabeth is acting around Eric because she's so focused on how Eric is acting. And Eric is acting weird and shifty too, possibly because he has the secret of romance with Elizabeth. But as readers at this point, I kind of think, tell me what you think about this, Nick. I think that the book is trying to make us really think, is this true? Like, are you know, are Jessica and Darcy right? Like, Eric oh, yeah. could be a murderer. Yeah, I think it's leaning really hard on that. 
especially when Jessica decides after the picnic that she's going to dress up like Elizabeth and go, you know, get Eric's notebook from him because Darcy says that the notebook will have secrets in it. Mm -hmm. And yeah. There's another detail that I think the book is kind of like pushes in that direction, which we didn't mention earlier, but it's when Elizabeth and Eric are, I think are right around their tour or maybe when they're going to the movies. I think it's actually when they go to the movies that they're being followed. Did we talk about that already? Oh no, I forgot about that. Yeah. So they're being followed by the guy in gray, a guy in a gray suit. Like Elizabeth thinks they're being followed. She's a little weirded out. She asks Eric about it, but then the guy goes away. Yes, until I just felt like between that and all of the clues it was dropping, it made it seem like he was being investigated for something. And Elizabeth mm-hmm. is constantly having this thought of like, why would he be followed? Like, why is there just like Mercedes driving around Sweet Valley following this guy who just rolled into town? And I don't know. I, I feel like while I enjoy the twist coming later, I... I feel like there wasn't really much of a way to predict what was going on. Not in a bad way, but I, to your earlier question, like it seems like it's really trying to get us to the point of buying into this reality that Jessica and um, Darcy have come up with. Yeah. So, I mean, with the following, it's like Elizabeth bats the sky, but the Mercedes that you're talking about, that's Jessica. So Jessica's pretending oh, right. to be Elizabeth. Sorry. She goes to Eric's house she is able to convince Eric that she's Elizabeth because Elizabeth has told Eric that the way that you can tell the difference between them is that Jessica never wears a watch. But Jessica thinks of this when she dresses up like Elizabeth. Because yeah, and she, she, I mean, she doesn't know that Elizabeth's told Eric this, but she knows, she knows this difference well enough. It must be well-trodden territory that she puts on the wristwatch so her, her disguise works. She's de- Eric definitely thinks she's acting weird, but he says something that makes Jessica realize that he and Elizabeth are closer than Elizabeth has let on. So now she's really nervous because what if Eric is a murderer and what if he's dating her sister or they're just have a close relationship, you know, then maybe her sister is in danger of also being murdered. And it's while she's thinking about all that, that she gets followed by a black Mercedes and a guy in a gray suit comes and like, grabs the handlebars of her bike and steals Eric's notebook out of the basket and tells her that she'd better stay pushes away from her, her over. boyfriend. Yeah, pushes her over. She scrapes her, her palms. Yeah. The, the bike's, bike's okay, okay, though. though. <laughs> yeah, the bike is okay. Jinx. <laughs> the book tells us that specifically, listeners. That's why we're both pointing it out. <laughs> yeah, the book seems more concerned with the bike than her. <laughs> So um, now Jessica's on high alert, but Elizabeth has gone off to spend some time uh, with Enid. And, oh, but that's also a little bit of a ruse, right? Well, yes and no, though. So earlier in the book, she had lied and said she was going to see Enid when she was not, when she was going with Eric. But then this time, she we learned secondhand from uh, Mrs. Wakefield that she's at Enid's and she's sleeping over because her mom went to a real estate conference in New Mexico, something something like that. Enid's mom did, yeah. Yeah, and so at first we're thinking to ourselves, like, that's not true. There's no way that's true. And sure enough, she went to go meet Eric 
But right. then we actually learn that she was at Enid's before, and that she's going to go back there to stay over the night. Yeah, it's like a combo. It's like it's like a half lie because she does spend yeah. the night at Enid's, but she is taking some time away from spending that at Enid's to go meet Eric at the beach disco or something. But Eric never shows up, and the reason that Eric never shows up is my oh, oh my, my god, god moment. My god. The oh, oh my yes. god moment is the moment. Sometimes it happens, sometimes it doesn't. When I am reading uh, one of these books and I say out loud, oh my god. I say it in different tones. And sometimes that's genuine shock. And this time it was more um, sort of sad dismay. It was the tone of more of like, oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> well, so do you want some setup for it, though? Yeah, sure. Because at this point, Jessica is totally concerned about the safety because she's only heard from her mom that that elizabeth has gone out for the weekend and i think she's fearing that she is actually that elizabeth is actually with eric and so she's panicked but she won't tell her mom what's going on so then she's trying to figure out how she can go and find elizabeth and no one's answering the phone and then she gets kind of when she's going out to search she keeps running into people she knows and eventually they corner her into going to was it the dairy to the dairy burger yeah yeah dairy burger uh and there she's kind of stuck eating there and darcy's there as well along with um winston and Oh man, I'm forgetting the other one's name. Because they're talking about sports the whole oh, time. Oh sure. So okay, so it's they're at the Dairy Burger. Aaron Dallas and Winston are talking a lot about Jeffrey and what a great soccer player he is. Jessica is really trying to steer the conversation away from Jeffrey and Elizabeth in general, which I think is is kind of interesting. Um she's just on guard. She doesn't know whether Eric knows about Jeffrey or not. Um well, yeah, because Eric shows up. And Eric, yeah. Oh, because Eric shows up, and because Darcy and Jessica are at the table and he knows them, he comes over to join the table. But at this point, Jessica's already been accosted by this man in the Mercedes who stole the notebook, who knocked her bike over. So she's basically convinced that Eric is, in fact, this murderer, or something Something bad is up. So Winston and, and Aaron and everybody are talking about Jeffrey. Listen, Jeffrey's good, but he isn't that good, Winston continued. There didn't seem to be any way to stop them. Jessica felt ready to scream she was so frustrated and anxious. We shouldn't be talking this way in front of Jess, Aaron said affectionately, leaning over to ruffle her hair. He'll go home and tell Liz, right? And we know how loyal Liz is. One bad thing said about Jeffrey and she'll hate us all for months. (laughs) Dead silence followed as Eric suddenly seemed to pay attention to what was being said. Who is Jeffrey? he asked almost casually. Winston, famous for being a clown, pretended to be horrified. What? You mean you know the Wakefield twins and don't know about Jeffrey French? He's the light of Elizabeth's life, or as you common mortals put it, her boyfriend. And uh, Eric is like, where is he now? But when, when that reference to Jeffrey and Elizabeth came up. I was just like, oh my god. <laughs> this is well, the worst possible to, way for him to find yeah. out. This leads, though, to the the kind of biggest encapsulation of what I was mentioning back in the beginning, where the quote continues and it says, Eric's expression changed swiftly, as if a storm had blown up in a clear summer sky. <laughs> yeah, very true. That is the, There's that imagery. So, And I do think that this is the book doubling down on this kind of misleading path, because spoiler alert, gladiators, Eric Hankman is not a murderer. 
but leading us down this path of this guy does seem disjointed. Like there does seem to be something a little bit amiss here. And uh, Jessica is so worried, like, oh, well, now she's angered him. Now she's angered the the girl murderer and he's going to go find Elizabeth and he's going to murder her. Um, so luckily uh, she c- can put her mind a little bit at ease because Enid and Elizabeth go up to Enid's aunt's cabin in the woods <laughs> for a night. But So Elizabeth but is far one, away from Eric. But there's one thing that happens before that, though. Okay. When Elizabeth is waiting at the, was it Beach Disco? Yeah, at the Beach Disco. So she waits for 50 minutes and then realizes that he's not coming because she oh, knows right. Eric would always be early. And when she goes to leave, she notices a car following her again. And it leads into the second chase sequence of this book after the bike chase sequence. <laughs> and she eventually pulls off, it seems like, to some like wooded area or something like that. And this guy gets out in a car behind her and approaches her and seems to flash an FBI badge. Yeah. And is asking about Eric. And she doesn't really have a lot of information to give him. And eventually the guy just kind of goes on his way. But then she's really perplexed as to what could be going on here. Yeah. And so she goes and goes home. Oh, Jessica has left a note at Enid's house, but Enid's cat <laughs> has has chewed the note so that it is illegible. Um, Domestic so, damage, as the yeah. cat is known for. Yeah, that's what it says. Um, the cat's name is Muffy. And the book tells us that Muffy is famous for this kind of domestic damage, but uh, that's a little bit of reverse engineering here on the <laughs> book's part. I never heard of Muffy's existence before, and we've had we've had books about Enid and Enid's household. So, uh, at any rate, Enid tells Elizabeth that the whole thing can wait to be sorted out with Eric on Monday, and and Enid doesn't know anything about. I mean, Enid and Elizabeth, neither of them know anything about Jessica and Darcy's theory that uh, Eric Hankman is Chris Wyeth, the the girl murderer. Yeah, and on the flip side, Darcy is telling Jessica that they have to basically wait to go to the police because that they don't really have any proof. Yeah, and Jessica's true. They basically don't. like, what more would I need? Which is crazy because she has nothing at this point. It is but, interesting uh, inter- following on the heels of the last book too, because the last thriller, because Jessica got in trouble for making up stories. Yeah, in that she. Book. Uh, I wrote down. The- <laughs> this line because i thought it was funny but she said one more bit of proof and wild horses couldn't keep me from calling the police (laughs) okay there's a funny moment where uh the book describes that darcy who having just come down with a cold is eating a bag of peanut m&ms to try to fortify her strength (laughs) yeah and then she go, doubles down and says her strategy is she has to eat as much as possible. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why Dar- I don't know why Darcy had a cold exactly, but I guess so she could be home to get a to get a package from. Um, I mean, she does really have a cold, but I mean, why did the author of this book create a cold for Darcy? I'm not sure, but she's waiting. Sue is sending her in the mail the composite sketch of. The composite sketch of Eric Hankman, or not Eric Hankman, the composite sketch of Chris Wyeth. Wyeth. And so that Darcy and Jessica can see if he resembles Eric Hankman. And Darcy gets this envelope, and guess what? He looks kind of like Eric Hankman. Yeah, this generalized composite sketch kind of looks like him. (laughs) Yeah. So Darcy rushes to 
the Western building to show Jessica the, the sketch. Meanwhile, Elizabeth is talking things out with Eric and Eric is like pulling her into a back room firmly. Like Elizabeth says, you're hurting me. It hurts her. Yeah. Yeah. Jessica rushes to the coffee shop and she overhears this. I think she overhears the stop you hearing me and calls out Elizabeth, you know, and Elizabeth is like, Jessica needs me. Like that's my sister. And Eric's like, you wanted to talk. I mean, Eric is really angry, right? Because he's angry about Jeffrey and like Elizabeth has been lying to him or has, you know, a lie of omission or whatever. But as the readers, even, we're not sure exactly what's happening now. Like, is so, mm-hmm. so sorry. I'm sorry, Gladiators. Maybe I shouldn't have told you. <laughs> Maybe I ruined the, this. it was too spoilery for me to tell you as early as I did that Eric is not a murderer. But I guess as I was reading the book, Yet. I was like, I don't think so. It's just like, it's not the person, like, this is too cut and dry if the guy that did it is, we just know. <laughs> like, but I don't the know. scene... The scene really tips it into the favor of he might be a murderer. Because not yeah. only is he pulling her by... So just to clarify, there's going to be so much that piles up here in a few short pages. But this is the first instance where after Jessica sees him pulling Elizabeth forcefully out of the coffee shop, they are running down the street. And then he uh, Eric pushes Elizabeth into an alley. And then, like, forcefully covers her mouth, and Jessica and Darcy are chasing after, but they don't see them go down that alley, so they keep running past. And Eric basically is, like, pretty threatening in saying that, like, she shouldn't, Elizabeth shouldn't make any noise to attract their attention. And at that point, you're like, what is going on here? Yeah, it's, I, I had a moment where I was like, was I wrong about about him all along? Like, is he gonna, is he gonna try, is this gonna be another book where it's gonna be just like the last thriller and Jessica and Elizabeth are like, you know, having to fight off, a, you know, some strong young man with a lead pipe? <laughs> like, yeah. Even but if he's no, not a murderer, this is a real warning sign. Yeah, this is, it's a bad look for Eric, like... <laughs> It's really bad. I mean, I'm I'm the only reason why it's not affecting me more is just because I'm I'm uh, jaded now having read so many of these books, but it's bad. And uh but there's something else even worse that's happening meanwhile in the coffee shop. A child is yes. choking. This is this is my own oh oh my god, god moment. moment. Yeah, well, Eric, the dutiful Eric <laughs> steps away from his post for, you know, five minutes to talk to to Elizabeth. And during that time, a well, child starts choking on something. Yeah, because he had just served this mother and son. Timothy, as we'll learn his name, is uh, <laughs> served him. And then they step away. And it's only when he has pulled Elizabeth into the alley that then Jessica and Darcy are like, what are we going to do? We can't find them. And so they decide to run back to <laughs> the Western building, which I guess is a couple blocks away at this point. And then it's when they get back to the building that, um, is it Mr. Beckwith? Who was in the coffee shop? Mr. Beckwith is there in the coffee shop, and Mr. Hankman is on a payphone nearby for some reason. But I guess is it Mr. Beckwith who comes running out and was like, oh my god, there's a young child choking in here? Yeah, yeah. That's when Mr. Hankman is like, I've got to help. And Eric somehow is there now, too, and is like, no, dad. And he's like, I've yeah, got cause he you, heard son. Yeah, because he heard the screams from the alley yeah. where they were. Because there's a lot that's happening in a really quick period of time here. Because Jessica is like basically like going numb, even though they keep telling her, like, go find a doctor out on the street and then go call the police. Or 
she basically can't, doesn't do anything. And then Mr. Beckwith, I think, is, like, pushing her out the door at one point. <laughs> There's yeah. a lot of character movement going on here. Sometime Eric tells his dad not to help. Which, I mean, Eric's dad is is supposedly a businessman. Like, that's yeah. what we've... Mr. Hankman, that's what we've learned about him before. Just like Darcy's dad, which is interesting. Just vaguely a businessman from Ohio. <laughs> but that also, again, another, another red herring. Because um, it turns out that what... Uh, Mr. Hankman does is he performs like an emergency tracheotomy basically this on this This is crazy. Toy. Yeah, in crazy. the middle of the coffee shop. And and when he starts doing that, Mr. Beckwith is there and is like, oh my gosh, that's where I know you from. You're Dr. Ryan, the doctor that testified against Frank DeLuca in the big Frank DeLuca case. Oh my God, that's amazing. And immediately <laughs> it's like, you idiot. <laughs> because we know the one thing we know about Dr. Ryan, other than that he did the thing that some people thought could never be done and went ahead and testified against Frank DeLuca, even though it was dangerous. We know that he was going to be put in the witness protection program. Yeah. So he is he is undercover in Sweet Valley, or undercover is not really the word, but he's got a new identity as Mr. Hankman of Ohio. And well, and it's now weird, that too, that this is the giveaway. I was saying it's weird that this is somehow the give, uh, like giveaway of his identity to Mr. Beckwith. Yeah, because like he's doing this him emergency do tracheotomy. He's, yeah. he's got like a, a like a coffee shop like butter knife and uh, a straw and some towels. And he just like cut this kid's throat <laughs> open and then tells the mom casually like, yeah, he's fine. Don't worry about it. Like. <laughs> the hospital but but um yeah but he's very nonchalant about the whole thing yeah and well, then, I guess, yeah like you were saying he also he's like oh now i know you and it's like wait what how do you know him like, why do you have the presence of mind right now exactly to, the same yeah yeah he's he's put on some weight he's grown a beard he's like dyed his hair yeah. black like he's 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 changed his appearance significantly yes and also like mr beckwith is just like randomly in the right place at the right time for this to happen listen but, everyone works in the western building <laughs> as we've established everyone works there uh, so it's right on the heels of this that the Ryans, well, how do these bad men get into? Oh, oh, well, this is, picture? this is my, I think third, oh my God, moment of this book is they, so basically the, uh, <laughs> the Ryans, uh, which we actually learned that Eric's name is Michael Ryan. They go home because they're going to go start packing up to leave. Yeah. And they're so in the gladiators, in, in case this isn't clear to you, Eric Hankman, they thought Eric Hankman was maybe Chris Wyeth, but it turns out he's not Chris <laughs> Wyeth. He's Michael Ryan. Yes. So, <laughs> in case you were confused. <laughs> no, there's a third name for him. Yeah. Go ahead. But yeah, it, it's only when they're home packing that Elizabeth goes over to... I guess kind of say her goodbyes. Although she doesn't really know what the situation is. Right. And that was the third moment where I was just like, what is happening in here? Because (laughs) they're there when suddenly, is it like the door gets kicked in? Yeah, the door gets kicked in. And who is it but the man in the gray suit and the FBI agent and maybe some other dudes. Um, Yeah. And they're there and they are Frank DeLuca's Weapons drawn. Yeah, we- weapons drawn, and they tell everybody to, like, you know, come, Mr. Hankman, like, or Mr. R- Dr. Ryan, as the case may be, uh, like, 
it has a suitcase. He's getting ready to pack and to run. Like they're, that's where the title on the run comes from, right? They were on the run before. Um, Chris Wyeth is on the run somewhere, but we don't know to where. But Eric Hankman and his dad are only on the run in the sense that they're in the witness protection program until now. Now they're on the run again. And they, I think they aware that they will be on the run forever. Um, so, uh, and also there's a Mrs. Hankman, I mean, a Mrs. Ryan and a sister that are still back home and wherever they're actually from. Yes. He is packing a suitcase, which he sort of like has to drop down the stairs when these guys tell him to come down. <laughs> he has to like <laughs> kick it slowly it, down yeah. the stairs. It was an interesting detail, but yeah, they had them all at gunpoint and I don't exactly know what it is that they're planning on doing, but... It's so, something. well, they say that they're trying to get information from both Michael and Dr. Ryan and that they're willing to kill them if they don't get the information. But then they send Michael and Elizabeth upstairs to the den while they are going to interrogate the doctor. And it's there that we have maybe the fourth, oh my God, moment of the book, which is when they talk about the good neighbor security system. Yeah, let's find that part. Because this is where... Um, Elizabeth is trying to convince the Ryans that they don't have to leave because Sweet Valley, like, they might, you know, they're saying everywhere we go, you know, someone will find us out and, like, rat us out and there'll be eyes. Frank DeLuca has men everywhere. Like, you don't understand. We have to leave. And she's like, no, Sweet Valley is different. But then, of course, <laughs> these guys come and kick down the door, and it's like, oh, see, this is exactly what we were afraid of. Somebody did rat us out, and now they're here already. So Eric and Elizabeth go upstairs, and this is where Elizabeth tells Eric that he should ring the alarm that is that the Ryans never... Uh, they didn't disconnect. You had to press the red dis- button. Yeah. So let me find this. Um, Elizabeth draws on her long and vast history as a home security expert. <laughs> yeah. Just was striking to me how quickly she launched into this whole speech about how the system worked. In the den, Michael sank down onto the couch, and Elizabeth sat down beside him, her head resting lightly on his shoulder. What could possibly happen now, she wondered. There seemed to be no way out of this awful mess. She let out a long sigh, then gasped when she saw a small alarm box on the wall behind the coffee table. Michael, look! Your father never disconnected the alarm system the last owner of this house installed. Push that red button fast! (laughs) What is it? Michael demanded, staring skeptically at the box. Elizabeth reached around him and pressed the button as hard as she could. It's called the Good Neighbor System. When you push it, it goes off in six other houses in the area that are also part of the network and in the police station. It's completely silent, so they won't know downstairs. Then one of the neighbors will call and say the first part of the password to your father. If he doesn't finish it, they'll come running right over to make sure he's all right. Michael looked at Elizabeth in disbelief. I can't believe any good neighbor system is going to be much help at this point. Elizabeth pushed the red button again. It can't hurt, she told him. Michael, don't you have any faith in people at all? Michael shook his head. Not when I think that one of those so-called good neighbors must have told those creeps downstairs where to find my dad and me. How else did they find out where we live? Elizabeth was aghast. No one would have told them, she cried. Michael, you can't believe that. So, 
Anyway, I, I just wanted to go to just to give a little sense of this is the it does come back to this thematics like Michael can't believe that such a system would work. Elizabeth is like, no, your, your neighbors do care about you. And she's pressing this button. So I did a little research to see if this was oh, a yeah? real thing. And while I was able to find some evidence of security systems becoming popular in the 80s that you know, did connect directly into the local police station. I couldn't mm-hmm. find anything by this name, at least. It didn't. I was just curious. Like, is this in any way a real thing? So, gladiators, yeah, if you've like heard a of such a thing, yeah, <laughs> it should be. But gladiators, if you have uh, any knowledge of some kind of similar kind of alarm system, I'd love to hear about it. But the, the phone rings, and Elizabeth is like, you see, it's working already. And this leads to my fifth, oh my god, moment of the book. <laughs> <laughs> Go on. Oh, man. Okay, so the phone rings, and the kidnappers tell Dr. Ryan that he should answer it, but act normal. Otherwise, they threaten to kill him. And so he answers, and the neighbor whose name escapes me right now, but tries to ask him for the password. And he just says like, oh, I think you have the wrong number. It hangs up. And so in the span of what seems like maybe 30 seconds or so, all of a sudden the door busts open and a dozen neighbors (laughs) come rushing into the room and rip all the guns out of the hands of the (laughs) the three men who are there. And it suddenly turns into like an action movie where they're like wrestling over the guns and trying to disarm everybody (laughs) going on. And then the police show up with two cruisers and Jessica and Darcy are somehow in the backseat of one of the cruisers. (laughs) Somehow. I don't know how that happened, (laughs) but yeah, uh, it all happens real quick. I mean, and the book explains that there was nothing that these gangsters could do because they were so greatly outnumbered. Mm-hmm. Um, but still, it seemed like a bold move on the part of all of the, I guess, uh, all the neighbors. I mean, I guess the gangsters would have had to kill everybody. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, then- if it's not clear, the neighbors rush in unarmed. Just open the door and just mm-hmm. like... Yeah. Do like a charge straight ahead. Well, we know that these gangsters are armed because they come in with their guns drawn. But then luckily, as Nick said, the cops show up pretty soon. So, and we find out that it wasn't any of the Sweet Valley residents that ratted out the Ryans to Frank DeLuca's men. It was just some other tip they got from somewhere else. Well, they, it wasn't any of the neighbors, but it's insinuated yeah. that there are criminal underworld elements that exist even <laughs> in Sweet Valley. Yeah. I also reveal kind of the big information there. Yeah. About Michael Ryan. Oh, yeah. Or I guess Chris Wyeth, I should say. Wait, Is that they, Chris Wyeth. They, they finally put a pin on that story. Yeah, tell us. They reveal, because it's the information is brought out that uh, Jessica and Darcy had suspected that Michael slash Eric was Chris. <laughs> God, what a confusing <laughs> sentence. And everyone's like, what are you talking about? And someone, I don't know if it's a police officer, mentions that Chris Wyeth had been arrested the night before. So yeah. case closed, I guess. There's no murderer on the loose in Ohio. And Darcy says, yo, I guess Sue is n- is uh, not the most up-to-date gossip source, like information source. Which seems like she's really throwing her under the bus. I don't think Sue is guilty in this this whole situation. <laughs> well, that's that's a pretty Darcy move, right? Like it could nothing could yeah. ever be Darcy's fault, you know. 
she should just go home and get back in bed. She never, yeah, rest up and keep she's eating still peanut sick. <laughs> she's still she's still roaming around the town spreading her cold germs to everybody in sight that's the I mean, epilogue to, say, to this book is that all the police officers and all the neighbors in this neighborhood <laughs> have a cold now to say nothing of the awkward conversation of that she already called out of work and then showed up at work anyways <laughs> yeah so like she couldn't have faxed the the composite of, <laughs> or just me. called the office and said like hey it looks like it him. looks like him yeah yeah that would have worked uh well so now elizabeth and eric have to have a heartfelt goodbye and i had to Again. laugh a little bit because you know elizabeth is gonna have to think long and hard the book says about you know she's gonna have to have a, a conversation with jeffrey where she you know comes clean about all this and i i definitely like smiled to myself when I was reading about that because I was like and it's never gonna happen because <laughs> time doesn't exist and at least not in a straight line not in this series but it's funny too because Darcy's the one who brings it up very like nonchalantly in the <laughs> yeah. office Elizabeth's and then like that's Elizabeth kind of a personal like, question uh, don't you think yeah, it's a personal question it's none of your business and then she's basically like it's too soon like the emotions are too raw for me even to think about having to admit this to my boyfriend and it's like mm, i don't know that seems like avoidance to me <laughs> <laughs> yeah well she's been uh, avoiding it all book like talking about it i think she wanted to pretend like it wasn't real i think that was one of the more compelling aspects of this book you know it had nothing to do with the thriller yeah. But it sounds like you agree. Like, that was that was interesting to read. Oh, yeah. And I think it was kind of wisely played. Because in the beginning, I was thinking that it was unintentional. And then it became clear mm -hmm. around, like, three quarters of the way through that, like, oh, this is a point that the book is trying to make. And then I started to really appreciate what it was diving into there. Because, I, I, I mean, listen, I, I understand the conflict there. Even though it, the characters are sometimes making more obvious and frustrating choices. I, I understood what she was getting at there. And yeah, I, I think it gives a bit of nuance to the interior lives, especially of Elizabeth here. Yeah. I mean, and it's an interesting way to see Elizabeth uh, because she, it's, I mean, it's kind of fun to see her getting kind of excited about an, a guy, I guess, that's not her study boyfriend, but it's not, it's unusual. Like, Elizabeth has had plots before where there's been some confusion about whether the person she's with, is she on a date with him? Or is she, are they just friends? Or does he think something's up? Like, that's been a plot driver before. Like, famously, Nicholas Morrow, when he first comes to town, Elizabeth agrees. Mm -hmm. There's a whole book about how Elizabeth agrees to go out to dinner with him, even though it's like she's kind of just being nice because she's her serious boyfriend wouldn't like that. But she, like, knows that it's going to create a miscommunication. So clearly she hasn't really learned her lesson. But in that book, she's never really... She doesn't really have the hots for Nicholas. Like, she's she's just kind of being nice, and it's getting her into trouble. And this, this one kind of starts that way, but I think if she really examined it, she would see that yeah. there's something else going on. There's a whole... There's a sequence where she's wondering why she's <laughs> feeling that kind of electricity. And especially, like, there is a moment where she is envisioning herself kissing his lips. And she's like, And her lips are burning. Burning, yes. <laughs> her lips burn when she thinks about kissing him. Which sounds kind of painful. <laughs> yeah, it's like, and maybe your lips are just chapped. Like, you need some, yeah. <laughs> you need some chapstick. Lips. They make stuff for that, you know? Okay, so should but don't I don't get addicted to it. <laughs> it's like an inside joke. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if anyone will find that one funny. But I mean, there's stuff on the internet about it, I guess. There's like memes about chapstick addiction, right? 
Sure. Sure. If not, welcome <laughs> <must> to <laughs> welcome to an inside joke, gladiators. Uh, <laughs> but should I read this goodbye poem? Yes. So Michael, the you know soon to be published poet that he is, has left. Uh, Michael is Eric. Remember, um, he has has written a goodbye poem to Elizabeth for her to treasure. So here it is in its entirety. <clears throat> What's titled "Goodbye Poem." To say we touched, to say you taught me, to say I saw things new, to say I love you, none of these is enough, my friend. For your world, with all its light and hope, couldn't prepare me for this sorrow, this saying goodbye. Tell me it won't matter, promise me wherever I am, you will be with me in the place where goodbye doesn't matter, where forever is just an instant, and our love a bridge, connecting, linking, making all things one. Elizabeth put down the notebook, the tears streaming down her face. She didn't know if she would ever find that place Michael had described, but she knew she would never forget him, not as long as she lived. And we'll never hear about him again, I predict. (laughs) Sorry, Michael Ryan. Uh, prove me wrong, book series. Prove me wrong. I imagine him kind of like uh, having a Dexter moment where he's just this lumberjack <laughs> in a cabin somewhere. <laughs> well, I don't know where they're going next, and and Elizabeth wishes that she could know, but they wonder, like, wonder where the Ryans are right now. But uh, yeah, that poem, I guess that was a free verse kind of a kind of a deal. When yeah, you the, read it out loud, poetry. it kind of just sounds like a series of sentences. <laughs> but. Yeah. I don't know if I would say he was an acclaimed poet from no, the samples I mean, they gave us. He tried. He's 16. I mean, he's no uh, teen poet laureate. but <laughs> And he was very self-conscious about it because he started off by saying that it wasn't very macho. In like a very like self deprecating kind of way. I loved that because Elizabeth says, "Do you remember what she says back to him when he says it's not I very don't. macho?" She says, "Who cares about macho?" And I was like, "Yes, Elizabeth." Heck yeah, Sweet Valley High. That's what I want to hear. That's pretty forward thinking for 1988. Yeah, macho was all the rage still. I think. You know, I mean, in some quarters, we were all it supposed to be is. pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps. Yeah. Reaganomics, man. <laughs> Margaret Thatcher. 1980s. <laughs> what a time to be alive. Um, Oof. Well, I think that, that that pretty much brings us to the end. I do wonder if Andy Sullivan, who's the intern, the Stanford intern, is going to come up in the next book. Because, man, otherwise, he's really doing nothing <laughs> in this volume. Yeah, he's introduced really just to be the target of desire for, like, a couple of pages. Yeah, I mean, you wonder a little bit, like, oh, is he going to be actually, like, he's the teenager that, uh, you know, that killed this girl back in Ohio, and he's made up this really fancy um, oh, interesting. Uh, CV for himself? That was the thought I had. Uh, you know, I didn't have that thought, but it's probably because he shows up so late in it that I just was already resigned to the fact that it must be someone we've already seen. <laughs> but in fact, it's no one. It's no one. <laughs> well, Nick, I think we made it through. Uh, welcome to the world of Sweet Valley High readership. Um, I hope you enjoyed your experience. I did. It was, uh, you know, you told me it would go quick and it it did. 
I was especially the last like fifty pages or so. Yeah, it was hard to keep up with what was going on. There these, were so many twists. <laughs> these thrillers are especially are really a tale of two halves. Like the first one can be kind of a slog. Like what's all this random information like in this book? Like why do why are we following this mafia trial and like who are all these new characters and what are they doing and where are we now? And then uh, then the second half is just like you just turning page after page trying to see how the how the thrilling plot unfolds thrillingly exactly since this is your first and possibly only episode of sweet valley diaries (laughs) oh no i just thought maybe i wouldn't convince you to read another one no 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 you're not this is not me grading you on the fly about your performance on this podcast but just a, a thought that maybe if it was since it took us you know 50 plus episodes to convince you in the first place that perhaps <laughs> when you put it that way geez. <laughs> perhaps you won't want to read another one but i mean there are more thrillers down the way so i'll never say never um if you're in i'm in but even so i think that it would behoove me to ask you if you consider yourself more of a jessica or more of an elizabeth oh man this is a loaded question and i've had a <laughs> feeling you were gonna ask this question i I mean, I think it has to, by default, be Elizabeth. Like, like there's not even a question to it. But I will say that Elizabeth is really pushing my buttons in this book, <laughs> especially with her lack of awareness of what's going on. So it did frustrate me. But if I had to choose between the two, I think I would say Elizabeth. Yeah, I, I think that your conscientiousness in general, just by default, makes you an Elizabeth. Since just one of even- Jessica's main traits is that she doesn't really care about anyone by herself. Uh, a self-centered whirlwind, I believe, is the way that she was described in a recent book. Uh, that tracks. Even if it's just for workplace behavior, I have to go with Elizabeth. Oh, right. <laughs> like, <laughs> everybody else is just standing around blabbing, and she just wishes that Darcy would shut up for a minute so that she can focus on getting some work done. That definitely is, yes. like, big Nick Riley energy. <laughs> At least work energy. Yes. Sorry. <laughs> we don't have to talk about it. Um, how about this? Uh, let's call it an episode. Thank you so much for doing this, Nick. You're welcome. It was fun. Yeah. Yay. I had fun, too. And this was fun to read. I, I'm cramming in a few episodes, recording uh, a few episodes in a row right now. And I read this book in a day. And it was it was easy. It went down smooth. It was smooth. It's a lot of action. <laughs> yeah. Um, Gladiators, thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this kind of change in format. I know that in the past we've only talked about special edition books when it's been on hiatus, but I just thought it would be fun and like the scheduling worked out such that I thought maybe we could try to catch up so that at least chronologically by the time we finish uh, season six, we will be in the, around the same place. Uh, maybe we can continue chronologically going forward. Let's see. Remember, if, if you have any like information about a good neighbor systems or <laughs> yes, uh, if you're a lawyer and you want to tell us about how surprise witnesses work, like if you're an attorney, um, I mean, I know a lot of lawyers, actually. Like, a, like it's kind of ridiculous how many lawyers I know. So I could ask one <laughs> right, of them. don't brag. No, it's, I think it's strange. I think it's genuinely strange. At any rate, uh, I still want to know if, if you have any <laughs> insight into surprise witnesses or even more so good neighbor systems. Uh, and you can tell me by sending me an email, sweetvalleydiaries at me.com 
or by visiting Instagram, where we're at Sweet Valley Diaries, or on Twitter at Sweet Valley. Um, you can visit sweetvalleydiaries.net. I keep on forgetting, I've been meaning to put in a plug too for, there's a Sweet Valley subreddit. And I think it could definitely be a really fun place to have conversations about Sweet Valley High. So if you haven't checked that out, it's, um, you know, reddit.com slash r slash Sweet Valley High. And I feel like there was something else about me. Oh, I know what it was. I have a newsletter. It has doesn't really have anything to do with Sweet Valley High or Sweet Valley Diaries. Sometimes it will. But if you want to subscribe to my newsletter, it comes out every week. Uh, it's called Metaphoria. And you can subscribe by visiting flaxbart.substack.com. And I will put a link in the show notes to that. I would love for Gladiators to subscribe to my newsletter. You can find out a little bit about what's going on in my head uh, outside of the world of Sweet Valley High. Um, Although, again, sometimes the newsletter will be about Sweet Valley High. (laughs) And thank you very much to all of of you that have already uh, subscribed to the newsletter and to the podcast. Like you. Thanks, Nick. I appreciate it. Tell your friends about that and even more so about Sweet Valley Diaries, the podcast. We'll be back with you next week with another exciting installment. Until then, remember not to jump to too many conclusions about whether the new boy in town might be a murderer. With that, I will say adieu. Bye. Bye, Nick. Bye. Welcome to Sweet Valley Diaries, the podcast that you think is all about a small California town, but sometimes it's about Ohio. That's not, sorry, that's not, that's, that's not how I want to say it. But it's accurate. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. What I want to say is, um, uh. The book is brought to you by the word glowering. I like that. I'll go with that. (laughs) I'll take your suggestion. It'll be something different. I was just being silly. You can do whatever you want. <laughs> no, when I said it, when I when it came out of my mouth, it didn't have the same ring to it that it had in my head. All right, starting from the top. Good thing this is an edited program.